Off me block, book two, boned and rolled, chapter one, boxing the fox. Who the fuck are you, pal? Tommy Costello is standing on the porch of his newly acquired villa and he's staring at me intently. He hasn't a clue who I am and I'm starting to believe that instead of the welcoming handshake I had been expecting, I'll be getting a punch in the throat for disturbing him. He's wearing a black and red sweater and a pair of ridiculously short football nicks, which I'm sorry to say, leave little to the imagination. It's been five weeks since I met him on a flight from Dublin to Nicosia, and despite my best intentions, previous commitments prevented me from accepting his invitation to dinner the night after we arrived. Now, on my last night on the island, I'm hoping that the invitation still stands. It's only been a short while, but the transformation in his appearance is remarkable. The masses of brill cream laden hair are gone. He has shaved his head down to bare stubble. His once thick and crusty yard brush moustache is nothing more than a thin pencil line above his lip. There are funny looking bubbles on his sweater and my stomach heaves when I realise that it's not a sweater at all. It's actually severe sunburn and chest hair. Well, he says, who the fuck are you? I'm stunned from my thoughts. It's me. Remember, we met about a month ago. I was sitting beside you on the flight from Dublin. Stephen? He cuts me off instantly. Stephen who? King? Fry? Hawken? He bursts into a guffaw of laughter. It's Stephen, I repeat. I was sitting beside yourself and Janine on the flight from Dublin five weeks ago. We talked. Well, you talked. Do you remember? I can see the realisation dawn on him and a smile the size of a canal lock spreads across his face. Jesus, for the love of God, Stephen, 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 how the hell are you, man? Loving Jesus, I thought you never bothered your holes showing up. For fuck's sake, we even thought you might be dead or something. He grabs me and bear hugs me to the point of asphyxiation before finally releasing me, only to grab me by the shoulders. This is surreal. I barely know this man, and yet I feel like I'm the prodigal son returning. If the invitation still stands, I'd love to cut off again. Janine, Janine, get that big ride of an arse of yours out here, will you? It's the young fella, remember? From somewhere, deep inside their new and ridiculously large villa, I can hear Janine's reply. Who? Tommy raises his eyes to heaven and twirls his index finger in the air and whispers, I fucking swear she's losing. Can't remember what she had for breakfast. Fucking son has her out of our box. Well, that and all the racky we've only been lamping out of it. He steps out into the foyer and shouts, it's Stephen, your man from the plane, remember? The ginger lad, carrot top, miserable L streak of a fucking yoke, tall and lanky, remember? I let this slight on my appearance slide. If the seemingly endless flight we shared taught me one thing, it's that Tommy Costello does not mince his words. He also doesn't mean any harm either. He's just being himself. So what's with the shaved head and the Clark Abel moustache, I ask him, expecting for all the world for him to launch into one of his convoluted stories? Too fucking hot as all. Had to cool myself down. So I, uh, you know, molted. Only fucking boiling so I was. So on the first night we were here, I got ourselves to buzz me mallet with the old trimmers. Oh, I replied, somewhat disappointed that there was such a down-to-earth reason for his appearance. I hear Janine before I see her. Flat, flapping, flip-flop footsteps and the jingle-jangle of the countless bangles with which she adorns herself presage her arrival. From the gloom of the interior, I catch a glimpse of gold and bronze, and then I see her. If it were at all possible to erase that sight from my mind's eye, I would do it in a heartbeat. Janine is quite a beautiful woman, there's no doubt about that. A youthful sparkle in her eyes has defied the years, and her smile can genuinely light up a room. She saunters through the foyer with a grace which belies her size. 
Her mane of bottle blonde hair is a mass of fire fossil curls. They bounce gingerly about her face as she approaches. The sun has done her kindness. She radiates beauty and health. Very simply put, Janine is a vision. But by God, stuff all 280 pounds of her into the skimpiest swimsuit ever made. And I'm afraid that camel toe is left wanting as an apt description. This, my friend, is nothing short of moose knuckle. Oh, he was such a lovely young fella altogether, I hear her say. Is he staying for dinner? Before I know what has hit me, she has my head buried in her Himalayan cleavage, and all I'm short of doing is suffocating on the smell of sun cream and sweat. I'm beginning to second guess my decision to call on them, and yet I can't resist. For the past five weeks, I've found it next to impossible to get Tommy Costello out of my head. Crude, coarse, and utterly uncouth as he is, I am fascinated by him, and I want to hear more of his stories. It's too late to turn back anyway. The two of them shepherd me inside, and Tommy slams the door closed behind us. I'm in their world now. God help me. The villa is enormous. Far too big for the two of them, never mind its former occupant. To call it opulent doesn't do it justice. Tommy's late father was obviously quite an art collector, and years of rattling around such a vast place alone saw to it that he filled it with everything of beauty his heart desired. It's immediately apparent that the man was minted, totally loaded. And now, now it's all Tommy's. I'm overwhelmed by the splendour of it all, and more than a little intrigued to see how Tommy has begun to assimilate himself into his new surroundings. Insisting that I stay the night, they show me to a guest room, tell me not to be too long, and that when I'm ready, I should meet them out by the pool. I can't get down to them quick enough, and within ten minutes, myself and Tommy are at his bar by the pool sipping pina coladas and smoking cigarettes like they were going out of fashion. We chit-chat for a while, the weather, the price of a pound of Kerrygold in Cyprus, a particularly sore subject for Tommy despite his new millions, and the extortionate cost of pool cleaners, to whom Tommy refers as robbing jippo bastards. All the small talk is nice, he's quite an amiable chap despite the rough edges, but I want to hear more about his life, so I put the question to him, the same one I did five weeks ago on board that flight from Dublin. So, what's the crack? Jesus, wait till I tell you, he says, and we're off. We were no sooner here a week, two at the most, and I'm heading up to the old scratcher one night. Now, I'm completely out of me face, and I've a goo on me for a roll around in the sack with the other one, when I gets this unmerciful pain up the hind end of me hole. Loving lantern and Jesus, I thought I was going to die. I'd never felt a pain like it in me life. Well, not since age six when, just to see what would happen, I tried to put me pecker down the hoover tube, only for it to suck me marbles in as well, and the bleeding thing nearly tore the whole lot off. Agony so it was. Anyways, there I was, mincing around the shomer, cuddled it in me best silky jocks, and only slathering myself in the owl brute, while waiting for our good self to finish a shite and come to bed. I bang on a bit of Dino, the smoochy Italian stuff, you know, to loosen up the knickers when the pain hits me. Bang! Out of nowhere and Jesus, I'm bleeding out of it. She finally finishes up her business in the bog and finds me in a jittering heap on the floor, me good jocks around me ankles and a gush of blood like a biblical plague streaming from the crack of me arse. Off to the hospital I goes in the back of the Nina, and before you know it, I'm having surgery, having a septic and highly fucking dangerous ingrown hair unwound from around me coccyx, thank you very much. Loving Jesus, they took so much flesh from me that by the time they were finished, it looked like I had a fanny at the top of me crack. Mother of sweet divine, it was only bleeding agony, so it was. Pile and idle sinus, they called it. 
agonizing fuck of an arse gash is what I called it. I wasn't right for ages. I couldn't sit down. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't have a shite for fear of splitting the thing and then it ripping all the way up the back of me head. And don't get me started on the daily change of dressing. Holy Jesus on his cross. I had to go out to the outpatient's department every day for 10 days to have a length of gauze as thick as an elephant's leg stuck into the cavity of me new arse, Fanny. And you think it was sore going in? Well, let me tell you, pal, having it pulled out was like shitting razor wire. I bent the bars on the bed one of the days with the fucking pain of it. Anyways, after a couple of weeks, I gets the all clear. Everything was all patched up and my yard's fanny closed up, thanks be to God. Well, one morning shortly afterwards, I decide to go for an old dip in me pool. No harm there, I hear you say. And no, normally there wouldn't be. Save for the fact that the little fucker chiselers from down in the village had been bailing into the pool the night before when we were out on the toils. And had one of the little bastards gone and had a scutter in it. Now, I didn't see this as I got in that morning because I was hung over to bits. No, I didn't see it. But I jays as well tasted it when I swam into it and me in full gulp breath and all. It was like swallowing a melted shite ice cream. That's the only way I can describe it. Loving holy Joseph and his chisels I puked everywhere. I was out of that pool like a sea to air missile. Scrubbed myself raw so I did use the Brillo pad and everything. But it was no use. Some of that little fucker's shite germs made it into a tiny hole on me healing arse fanny and I was done for. Two days later, I've an abscess the size of a baboon's arse hanging off of me, and it was back to the old sawbones for Tommy. Huh? Where's Harry Ham Humper when you need him, huh? For the abscesses now, uh, not for the humping part, mind you. Anyways, I'm only in there for the day. They drained it there and then and sent me home. The thing is, they didn't just drain it. Seeing how severe it was, they cut the whole bleeding thing off altogether, stuffed a wad of gauze up there, the size of which would cover a Des Kelly showroom, and never bothered their holes to tell the warden us what they'd done. So she goes and tells me to go home and get into a salty bath and pull the bit of gauze out when I'm in there to let the old brine clean the incision. Ah, grand, says I. I'll do just that, nurse. No bother at all. Jesus, little did I know. Off I went, merrily on me way, into the bath I goes as soon as I got back here, hand between the legs and gave the gauze a bit of a little tug. Well, wait till I tell you, it fucking shot out of there like a bullet from a barrel and a gush of blood like a geezer spattered out into the bath. Jesus, it was like to set the jaws and there was me leaking like the wreck of the Hesperus. It's not many a man can tell you that a tube of toothpaste saved his life, but my friend, I am a member of that very elite club. It was the first thing that came to me hand and I fucking smothered me crack with it. Let me tell you, it stung like fuck, but I didn't care. Sure didn't it plug the leak. Janine managed not to kill us as she hoovered along to the hospital behind the wheel of a motor for the very first time in fairness to her. It's a sad state of affairs to be fearful of dying and not be afraid of the actual death part itself. What worried me more was being found by the ambulance men with no knickers on a half a pound of Colgate caked around me hole. Sure, Jesus, they think I was a right old pervert altogether. We made it there in one piece and anyways, and just the day before yesterday, I got the all clear again, thanks be to Jesus. I'm happy to report that I no longer have a gaping arse, Fanny. Mind you, I still have to bang on an L maxi pad or two if I want to take a swim, just to be on the safe side, like, you know. Sure, I suppose what with all the good fortune I've had, sure wasn't I due a little bit of bad luck. Here, come here till I tell you. I still can't get used to all of this, you know, the gaff, the pool, the money. It takes a lot of getting used to. 
you know what I mean? Having so many shekels in the bank, like, don't get me wrong, pal. It's great and all, but old habits die hard, you know? Take, for example, the other one. She does have this place lit up like a Christmas tree here at night. And there's me going around behind her, turning everything off for fear of getting a stroke and juice and electric bill. Sure, it doesn't matter anymore. That fucking bill could be a grand a month and it wouldn't bleed matter. Not now, not anymore. I mean, after a lifetime of scrimping and saving and counting every bleeding penny, it just comes a second nature to be mindful of where the funds are going. Do you know what I mean, pal? Jesus, when I was a nipper, we had fuck all. Even though Ronnie was pulling in a wage, there was 15 of us and we had sweet Fanny Adam. So I found it very hard, pal. They changed me ways, like, since I came in to Noel's few bob. I tried, you know, to get used to it in the first week or so, to prove to myself that money was no object anymore. So I wiped me hole with a hundred euro note. Jesus wept it didn't half cut the ring out of me. I couldn't do it, though. It was a hundred euro after all, you know what I mean. So my hand went into the jacks and I whipped it out, shite and all, and then I washed it off in the sink. I paid the Robin Jippo pool cleaners with it the next day, though, and I cannot tell you the satisfaction that gave me. Ah, yeah, they feel, Bob. It's hard to get used to, all right. I mean, we had absolutely nothing when we were chiselers. So much so that me and the brothers used to try and help the L one out and try and stretch Ronnie's wages as much as we could. We used to go boxing the fox. Do you know what that is? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It means Robin Orchards. And there was nothing more that the young Tommy Costello loved. Well, aside from hewing stones at the Mormons when they were calling around the estate. And that was Robin Orchards. Oh, here. Wait till I tell you about the time that myself and a few of me mates robbed the Ashtown House Orchard. Loving Jesus, it was a fucking disaster. Now, when was it? Oh, yeah. Believe it or not, it was just two days before Larry went all Apollo 11 from the top of that lamppost and came back down to earth as Larry the Leg. Once again, it was a scorcher of a morning, and there I was, just sauntering around the house in the state, pasting dogshite onto the handles of the car doors, you know, just killing time until the rest of me mates were out and about. Anyways, after a while, a few of the lads showed their faces, and as we were skint and bored to tears, when Wally Mason suggested that we box the fox, we all thought it was a bizzo idea. Now, Ashtown House was no easy orchard to do. Ah, no, it wasn't as simple as an over-the-fence smash-and-grab job. No way, man. This had to be planned with military precision. We agreed to meet at the entrance of our estate in half an hour before we all legged the home to change into our camouflage gear. Ashtown House was a huge old Victorian gaff out on the Castle Knock side of the Phoenix Park. Right on the Tolka, so it was, and sure, Jesus, we were near bollocks by the time we reached it over an hour later. Now, as I was saying, this was no on-the-way-home schoolboy orchard with just a few scaldy crab apples for the picking. This, my friend, was a fully-fledged, all-you-can-stroke buffet. There was coxes, pippins, rhubarb, strawberries, spuds, carrots, cabbages. Then you had gooseberries, tomatoes, kale, parsnip, beetroot, radishes and plums. But the jewel in the crown, the most sought-after prize if you were mad enough to even try and get onto the grounds of the place, was a pineapple from the hothouse. Now, only the maddest bastard would ever try to do that. And sure am I your only man. I had a hankering for one of those prickly fuckers and having never tasted anything remotely like a pineapple in me life, I was all set to get me maulers on one. 
There were six of us that morning. Myself, Wally, Larry. Then there was Pink Eye McCann, Flap Scarity and Bingo Flanagan. Pink Eye got the name exactly as you might think. Terrible dose of it all together, so we had. Flaps just looked like the FA Cup, so big where his ears. And Bingo, well, let's just say Bingo only ever got a new pair of runners when his ma got a full house down at the community centre. Bingo nights. Anyways, I'm losing the run of myself here. There we were, all dressed up in our camo gear and a liberal application of Ronnie's shoe polish smeared across our faces, for which I'd get slaps the following Sunday morning when he discovered the empty tin. We were sitting by the perimeter wall and trying to work out the best way to get in and out without being sussed, cause let me tell you man, that place was locked down tighter than Arbor Hill. First of all, there was a wall like the north face of the Uyghur that you had to get over, and believe me when I tells you, that was the easy bit. Once you were on the other side, you had to hack your way through a forest of fucking brambles. One false move and you'd end up with a thorn the size of a shark's tooth stabbing you in the hole or worse in your bollocks. After the brambles, you finally came out into clear flat ground with nothing between yourself and your prize but 500 yards of neatly cut grass and another smaller wall. Now, it was at this stage that things could get tricky. You see, there was no cover out on that grass, none whatsoever. And if you were halfway across and got seen by one of the ground staff, you were, in a word, fucked. You'd have nowhere to run except back into the brambles. And as you can imagine, that's the last thing you'd want to do at speed. You know what I mean? Anyways, after a bit of hemming and hawing, we decided that we'd go for it. Sure, what had we got to lose? Wally and Flaps boosted me up onto the wall. Then Larry, Pink Eye and Bingo came up. We lowered a bit of L washing line down to the other two and hoisted them up. We were over the first hurdle. Well, on top of it in any ways. So far, so good. It was at this stage that the nerves started to get the better of us, mind you. You see, Ashtown was the stuff of legend to us young fellas. All of our older brothers had boxed it at one stage or another, but none of us had. We were just going on say-so and legend. As we sat there on the wall, lined up like sparrows on a foam where the fear of the unknown was beginning to make us think otherwise about our planned activities for the day. What if we were getting in at the wrong part of the wall? What if the brambles went on for longer than we thought? What if the second wall was higher than what we'd been told it was? What if we made a total arse of it and got caught? I didn't know about the others, but I knew that myself or one would make better acquaintance with Ronnie's belt if we did. But I wanted that fucking pineapple. I wanted it as much as I'd wanted the Turkish delight from the skip. Without any further thought or reasoning, I leapt down from the wall and fucking well disappeared into the bramble jungle. Loafing lantern and Jesus, they fucking well destroyed me, so they did. Torn to shreds, so I was. But I didn't utter a word, not one whimper. If I had done, those other fuckers wouldn't have followed me in. I don't think there was a single part of me that wasn't cut. I torns in me arms, me legs, me bollocks. But I wanted that pineapple and it would be worth it in the end. So when Flaps shouts down to me, Tommy, are you all right? Fighting back tears and whimpers, says I, Sure I'm grand, not a bother, are you coming in or what? We're coming, says Pink Eye. Link arms together and jump, says I, it's a bit higher than it looks. Grand so, says your man. You see, I knew that if just one of them was to follow me, he'd scream the place down for the pain of the thorns and the others would do a fucking legger. Come on, says I, I'll count you down. I can't tell you the pleasure I took in listening to the poor fuckers as they fell down through the brambles. It sounded like a cloud of dying cats, so it did. The fucking wails out of them, it was only the bizzo. After fixing ourselves up as best we could, they each trying to hide the tears from the other, 
we began to crawl our way through the tunnels in the undergrowth, feeling for all the world like the cast of the great escape. We crawled for ages, and we're beginning to think that we'd never make it out, when finally the brambles started to thin, and at last we stumbled out into the blessed daylight. Loving divine mother, it looked like we crawled through the bowels of hell. We were mucked up to the eyes. Our clothes were in flitters from the thorns. We were filthy and crusted with the blood from a thousand scratches. But we were in. And there just ahead of us lay the land of milk and honey. And pineapples. A quick sketch around. There wasn't a sinner in sight. We legged it across the grass. And I cleared the second wall in a single bound. So much were me chops slavering for a pineapple. Jesus! We were in. We were doing it. And let me tell you. It was the fucking bizzo. It was better than the stories we'd heard from the older lads. There was Anton and everything just lying there waiting to be stroked. I didn't know what to go for first. I'd never seen so much fruit and veg in all my life. It was like Moor Street, only cleaner, greener and not a skanky pram in sight. I tucked me jumper into me trousers and started stuffing Anton I laid me hands on down the neck of it. Flaps was milling raw rhubarb out of it, the dirty bastard. Lair was chomping on strawberries like there was no tomorrow, and Pink Eye was filling a duffel bag with heads of cabbages for his old one. We fucking well raided the place, so we did. We were like locusts, grabbing whatever came before us. I was barreling the cooker apples into me gansey when I saw it. The hothouse, home to that sugary, juice-packed fruit of the tropics. It was another 500 yards from where we were, built right onto the side of the main house now. It'd be risky going so close to the gaff like, but against me better judgment and slave the sugar that I am. In an instant I decided to go for it. I took off across the garden like a whippet, the apples in me jumper bouncing around like I was a queer one with a dozen ditties. I pulled up by a hedgerow a few yards from it and had another quick squiz around to make double sure that there was no one else about. Happy enough that the coast was clear, I sauntered across the gravel path like the lord of the manor himself, as calm and as cool as you like. The rest of the lads way back on the far side of the garden were staring at me in awe, like the disciples watching the holy Jesus walking on the water, I suppose. I walked right up to the door of the hothouse, opened it and stepped inside. As bold and as blazing as you please, thank you very much. My sweet and holy divine baby Jesus, as long as I shite from me hole, I will never forget the bang of the place. Inhuman so it was, fucking terrible altogether. I've smelled some foul fucking things in me life, the dimfin cow's vegetable farts for one, but nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, will ever compare to the stench that assaulted me nostrils when I walked into that place. Now let me tell you, you can grow tomatoes in a plain old bog-standard greenhouse, even back home in Ireland, no bother at all to do it. The sun shines through the glass, heats the place up and bang, you have your nice juicy tomatoes. Not so much with the yellow pineapples, I'm afraid. The gaff needs to be hotter, much hotter, tropical hot, you know what I mean, scalding. And how are these filthy rich posh fuckers heating up the place? I'll tell you how. They were filling it with a layer of horse shite about four feet thick and soaking it every other day with a barrel or two of horse piss. I only learned all of this afterwards, mind you, when my old curiosity got the better of me and I had to go and look it up in a book in the library. Anyways, that's the only way to get the place hot enough. The rot of the shite and the piss heats up like I don't know what and then you go and plant your pineapples in it. That's right, right there in the mix of shite and shergar slash. 
I was expecting the place to look like a desert island, you know, pineapple trees everywhere, like the set of South Pacific or something. You know what I mean, like, but there was nothing. Just three rows of red brick trenches filled to the brim with scaldy owl horseshoe. And then I seen, right down at the far end of the middle row, there was a bunch of prickly leaves sticking out of the muck. I legged it down and gave it a good yank, but it wouldn't budge. It was wedged in tight. Mouldy and stinking as it was, I wanted that fucking pineapple, so I plunged me hands into that foul-smelling muck, and after a little bit of digging and tugging at it, I pulled out the biggest, prickliest pineapple meal peepers I'd ever seen. It wouldn't fit down the neck of me jumper, so I stuffed it into the waistband of me trousers, doing me best not to spill me cooker apples, and I was all set to walk out as calmly as I'd walked in when I heard, Come here, you robin' little bastard. I didn't even turn to see who it was. I was out of that shite-smelling hellhole and hooring across the garden like the roadrunner on speed and screaming at the lads to leg it. They were all still milling around like ants when I came barreling towards them like the speed of light squared. I took a split-second glance over my shoulder to suss the situation and I immediately wished that I hadn't. I shot myself, man. There was an owl lad only tearing after me and the fucker was gaining on me. How? I don't know, because he was as hunched and rickety as John Merrick, but he moved like the flash, I'll give him that. I'm screaming at this stage, half panic, half tears, and doesn't the fucking pineapple only go and start slipping down into me jocks? I don't think I need to tell you what running at 20 miles an hour with a prickly fuck of a pineapple rubbing against your packet will do to you, but suffice it to say, it's not like being licked by kittens. The lads scattered at this stage, every which way and any. Flaps and pink eye tore back into the brambles as fast as they could, and had I not been in fear for me life, the screams of the two of them would have had me in stitches. Wally and Bingo took off down the driveway towards the main gate, a cloud of dust rising behind them. And poor old Larry, he was frozen to the spot, standing stock still and screaming like a banshee while an ever-growing piss stain spread out across the crotch of his pants. Larry shouts, I run, will you fucking leg it, I roared at him. Tommy, run, run, come on, he says through his tears. Never mind me, says I. Will you fucking go, you gobshite? Tommy, he screams, look out. I'd never seen anyone, and I mean anyone, athletes and everything, move as fast as that poor frightened little bastard did that morning. I still feel bad for him, though. I mean, he might have become a world-famous sprinter or something if I hadn't, in just two days' time, sent him up that poxy lamppost. As I've said to you before, I defo owe him a few scoops. Larry was gone in a flash. He disappeared into the brambles a good 200 yards ahead of me. It was too late. The elephant man had me by the scruff of me neck. Now wait till I tells you. I went bleeding apeshit on him. I threw myself around this way and that, twisting, torn and kicking and screaming, but the old bollocks wouldn't let go of me. Me jumper came untucked from me pants and me apples went everywhere. Ah, fuck it in any ways, I thought. I was having none of it. They were my fucking apples. I spun around and gave him such a kick in the balls. Now, I fucking belted him, I can tell you. The strength of that kick would have put a ball over the bar from the far end of Croker. He lets out such an unmerciful scream, loosened his grip on me, and then finally collapsed in a wobbly heap on the grass. Now, you old bollocks, you deserve that in any way, so I screamed, feeling for all the world like Muhammad Ali. I turned and sauntered merrily on me way. Come on, Larry, says I, let's get out of here. We sauntered for all of ten seconds before the owl bollocks started screaming for help. Thieves, he shouts. Thieves in the orchard. Get the dog. Get the dog. I was sick. 
I tell you. Now, I'm going to tell you something that not very many people know. I'm fucking terrified of dogs. Always have been. Always will be. I'd swim with sharks before I'd let a puppy lick me, for Jesus' sake. So when I heard that old bastard calling for the dog to be let out, I thought I'd shit myself. I took off like a hare on Carson Day, the pineapple working further and further down into me jocks. Fuck the pineapple, fuck Larry, I didn't care. I was gone for the clappers, hooting along so I was, as fast as me little legs would carry me. There I was only mearing along, when the other lad shoots past me like I was only out for a jog. There I was, legging it towards safety, when I hear this sickening snarl of a noise right behind me. I, I've no shame in telling you, I'd more than a few skids in me knickers that day. I flicked a look over me shoulder and felt like puking with the fright. Not five feet behind me was a fucking horse of a Rottweiler. Now I mean a horse. You could have put a saddle on this fucker and come first at the Grand National. Red eyes, jowls flapping like the gates of hell and the sharpest set of choppers I'd ever seen in me life. Me legs were failing, me chest was on fire, I was a screaming, whimpering mess of snot and tears and I knew I was done for. This was it, game over. Satan's hellhound was snapping at me heels and it would only be a matter of seconds before the fucker leapt for me neck. Now I tell you pal, I'm not overly religious. I'm hard pushed to believe in all that holy trinity stuff and all, but I do believe in guardian angels and mine that day took the form of little Larry O'Neill. Appearing from out of nowhere and as if by magic, he'd come back for me. And he'd come back armed with the biggest stick that his little arms could carry. Look out, he screamed as he swung that stick like Coo Cullen himself. I leapt skyward, diving over it as he swung. I landed flat on me face. The pineapple and me old Lee Roji coming together in a collision I'd never want to repeat. Needless to say, all three were ruined. Meanwhile, little Lar, me saviour, Fucking well clattered that fucking demon of a dog full square on the side of his head and it went off yelping like a dying puppy. I was safe and it was all thanks to a red-headed little barrel of lard whose life I'd ruined in just two days time. It took us about half an hour to make our way back through the brambles and all the while we were worrying about how we'd scale the wall when we got there. We needn't have worried. The rest of the lads who had given us up for dead and were afraid to go home were on the other side of the wall. After a bit of graft, we were reunited on the safe side in an orgy of hugs and backslapping. So there you are, pal. In the end, I never got me pineapple. And after the trauma of trying to get one, I've steered clear of them ever since. Never had a one of them. Never will. The closest I've come to is the Alpina Caladas. Tommy raises his glass to me. Cheers, pal. Janine joins us out on the terrace. She's carrying an ice-cold slab of Guinness, one of many which Tommy has had shipped in from Dublin. He goes off to the other side of the pool to fire up the barbecue. After that, the night descends into a blurry chaos. He told me some more of his childhood adventures, but I can't recall them at the moment. All I can remember from that night is that the steaks and stout were both delicious and abundant. I woke up the next morning with the worst hangover I've ever had in my life. What had happened the night before, I couldn't remember. There was not sight nor sound of Tommy and Janine. Given the size of their villa, I didn't even bother to try and find them. And as I had a flight to catch, I didn't have the time either. I gathered up my bits and pieces and left my card, along with a note thanking them for their hospitality and apologising for not saying goodbye. I genuinely hope to see them again and see them soon. Despite their uncomfortable over-familiarity, Tommy and Janine are lovely people, and it was my hope that we might become friends. I left Cyprus on October 6, 2012. 
It would be a while before I'd hear from Tommy again, but hear from him, I would. Coming up on the next episode of Off Me Block, Boned and Rolled, Chapter 2, The Happy Times Hostel. When the do-gooders from that charity that Friends of St. Francis called around, Ronnie hadn't got time to hide the brand new colour telly that he'd gotten off the back of a lorry, so he just turned the colour down and pretended we only had a black and white one. The dozy fuckers bought it and all, and thinking we lived in abject poverty, they called around every few weeks with a few vouchers, and maybe a hamper or two every now and again. Ronnie was like a pig in shite. And it was thanks to that shower of do-gooders that myself, Domo and my other brother Vinnie ended up being sent to the St. Francis Happy Times Hostel in Glendalock for a week in the summer of 1970. Was it a good holiday? Me bollocks. It would have made Mount Joy look like Disneyland for Jesus' sake. Now, I didn't bleeding well want to go screamed blue bloody murder so I did when me old one dragged me out onto the coach one Saturday morning in July that year. I was thrown onto me seat and told to shut me wished and be grateful that I was getting a holiday at all. Are you fucking mad or what? I remember thinking. Now, you'd want to see what else was sitting on that bus. Nothing but a shower of the scariest bowsies and no goods I'd ever seen in me life. Christ on a bike, even though the two brothers were with me, I was only fucking petrified. I still can't watch the old Shawshank Redemption without having flashbacks to that week. Happy times, hostel? Me hole. It was more like the bait that bollocks out of your barstool. I'd press the creases out of me bollocks with a steam iron before I go back there, I tells you. Hello, it's Stephen Duffy here with you. Once again, I want to thank you for listening to Off Me Block. And in particular, I want to say a huge hello and thank you to the new listeners we've gained here over the past few weeks across the Atlantic in Massachusetts, Illinois, Texas, Washington, Ohio and New York. And to our friends in Australia listening in from Perth, Canberra, Adelaide and Sydney, it's great to have you on board the Tommy train. Please feel free to drop me a voice message using the link in this episode's description. I'd love to hear from you guys. And remember, if you're loving Tommy's story, please share it with family and friends. Off Me Block is available wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you, take care and stay safe.